Hello, church. It is so great to see you. You look like you had some great Thanksgiving food. Is that right? Did you have a good time with family, neighbors, and friends? What a great time of the year, isn't it? When Anne of Voskamp was a little girl, one of her siblings died. And her father and mother made a decision at that moment that changed the outcome uh, for Anne. They decided that they would turn away from God and the church and develop a sour perspective, uh, attitude on life. And Anne said she didn't know it at the time, but this sort of defeated negative spirit was moving over to her and becoming a part of her life without really knowing it. And as she was growing into uh, her teenage years and early adult years, she too had developed a sour, sort of negative experience upon life. Well, fast forward to an adult. She marries a pig farmer in Canada and has seven children. Now, you know, color me silly, but that doesn't seem to help a situation of a person who's already depressed and discouraged about life. Canada, cold, you know, pig farming doesn't sound like a pick-me-up experience. And then raising seven small children is pretty challenging, wouldn't you say? And she said that just fueled her attitude on life. But then she got the news that she had cancer. And she said this was the final straw. And she began to spiral into a pit that she couldn't get out of. As a matter of fact, she said on the morning after she received the news about her cancer, she said she literally felt as if she were choking. A few days later, she went to the beauty shop and she saw an ad for a thousand things to see before you die. She thought, well, this has caught my attention. Maybe this is something I need to do. But she had a friend challenge her, and this was the challenge. Instead of trying to find joy in the things you don't have, maybe try to find joy in the things you already have. Instead of making a bucket list of a thousand things to see, make a bucket list of a thousand things that you are thankful for, that you already have. And so she took the challenge, and she got started. She pulled out a journal and began to write what she was thankful for. A thousand is a lot, isn't it? She started with the big things, but she says she quickly moved to what seemed like small or insignificant things to many people, but became really big deals to her as she was writing them down. And she says what resulted was a total shift in attitude. She moved from a sour spirit to a joyful heart and even experienced a healing body. She shares her principles in a new book simply entitled 1,000 Gifts. What Anne Voskamp discovered was a powerful truth tucked in the scriptures that have been sitting there all along available to every single one of us today. It's called the power of a thankful heart. It's taught many places in the Bible. 
particularly in the teachings of Jesus, but I really like the way Paul put it in the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want to introduce you or remind you of this powerful tool available to you to pick your spirits up, to get you out of the hole that you're in and live with a joyful heart. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> it's a pretty big statement, wouldn't you say? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. There it is. First, he says, you have your situation. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. It's your situation. The person to the right or to the left of you may have a bigger deal going on in their life, but right now, this is your situation, isn't it? Matter of fact, I'm going to ask you, what is your situation right now? What is the situation in your life that brings you concern, that causes you to worry, that even stirs up some anxiety within you. It could be about your children's well-being, maybe having enough money to pay the bills to get through the month. It could be related to your health, to a relationship, to a feeling of loneliness, to the fear of losing your job, the anxiety that time is running out for you, the fear of being found out, the fear of being left behind, the fear of failing, the fear of trying. Anxiety about your looks, anxiety about your weight, anxiety about your address, the fear of dying. So I ask you again, I dare you, just right now, tell me, what is your current situation? Paul says here, based on the Word of God, that every situation applies. The question, how are we supposed to rid ourselves of this worry? How? Well, there's two things, and I'd like to associate these two principles with breathing. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to practice. I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to take it in, hold it, and then let it out slowly. All right, you ready? One, two, three. That's good, isn't it? First principle, breathe in thanksgiving. That's what Paul's saying. Identify something you are thankful for. I'm thankful for this breath. I'm thankful for the sun. I'm thankful for my children. <laughs> my little granddaughter, two and a half years old, she grabs her mom's cell phone my daughter's cell phone and she's able now to find my name and she texts me she just texts her name Ava two and a half years old scary and I get that text and I have yet to do anything but stop dead in my tracks no matter where I'm at and smile as big as one can smile I am thankful for a text from my granddaughter and I simply text her back my name. You know me as Randy. She knows me as Baba. I'm thankful for that. 
But it doesn't just involve breathing in thanksgiving. Paul says there's a second step. And that is breathing out your anxiety. Releasing your anxiety in the form of a prayer petition to God. Literally laying that thing, that situation before Him. Breathing in thanksgiving, but breathing out your anxiety before God and leaving it with Him. I give you the fear of losing my job. I give you the fear of running out of money. I give you the fear I have of dying. Paul says that if you will make this a practice, a habit, not just a one-time event, not just for Thanksgiving around the table, but if you will make this a practice, breathing in Thanksgiving, breathing out your anxiety in the form of a prayer request to God, he says this will be the result, verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody want that kind of a peace daily in your life? A peace that transcends all comprehension that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why is he saying will guard our hearts and minds? The Bible teaches us that your mind is where you think about life and how you think about life. It is here that you become a chronic worrier. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult in this world, on this side of the new kingdom, for us not to worry, at least initially. But there's some of you, you've become chronic with your situation. It is in the mind that this idea begins. But it's also the mind where one chooses to live with peace. For Anne Voskamp, her young mind was doomed from childhood when her sibling died in front of her and her parents walked away from God. That's what she said. It's where the idea first was implanted in her mind. Unprotected mind. The Bible says our mind thinks about these things and it obsesses with it. And then the mind eventually sends a message to the heart to embrace this idea of a sour attitude as a way of life. And eventually, over time, our heart does, and we become that kind of a person, overwhelmed, gloomy, defeated, depressed, anxious. But this breathing in of thanksgiving and breathing out of anxiety before God, Paul says, is like putting a barbed-wired fence around your mind and around your heart keeping all the junk that potentially can come in and bring us down. And without being careful, dig us into a hole that we can't find a way out of. In the next verse, Paul gives us a list of categories to help stimulate our thinking in case we struggle with the idea of exercising the breathing in of thanksgiving. You ought to try to write down a thousand things you're thankful for. I bet you if you haven't done it in a long time, you'll get stuck on nine or ten. So he gives us, I counted, eight categories to think about. Verse 8, listen carefully. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, that's a category, whatever is true, whatever is noble, hmm, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is 
admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Stop there. Put it into practice. This is not just a concept for you to be aware of. This is not just something for Christians to say, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that Philippians 4 passage. It is an action to be practiced. And if you do, Paul says, the peace of God will be with you. Anybody want that? A number of years ago, when our kids were small, we went on a beach vacation which a bunch, with a bunch of our neighbors. And uh, the primary activity was to try out snorkeling. And so we arrived, and there was enough time to get some snorkeling in for the day, and a local recommended a cove. And as we went there, the water was rough. Now, most of the time, the water's real smooth in the places you snorkel, but the water was rough that day. And so it wasn't a big concern. We had put our kids in several swimming classes and may find it hard to believe, but I was actually on the swim team in junior high and high school. Didn't win any ribbons, but I know how to swim, all four strokes. So there's no concern. So we get into the water with our life jackets on and our snorkeling mask, and we swim out about a football field out into the water, and it was pretty choppy. And all of a sudden, Something clicked in my mind. Really strange experience. But all of a sudden, I had this rush of fear that this was not safe. Really odd for me, because I'm pretty much a risk-taker kind of guy, and so this was a real odd experience. But my kids kept swimming out, and I stopped. I had this enormous sense that we need to all go back to the shore, but they kept swimming out. And I didn't know whether to go get them or go back to the shore, and so I just stopped and started treading water as the waves were crashing over my face and the salt water was entering into my mouth and I just entered into a panic. Never happened before in my life. And so I began to call out for help for them to come back. <laughs> but because, serves me right, because I'm a trickster by nature, they didn't take me seriously, just laughed and kept swimming out. I knew it was one day going to catch up with me and today was the day. I finally yelled loud enough for one merciful neighbor swam back to me and says, Randy, what is up with you? I said, something's not right, man. This is dangerous. Don't you feel the danger we are in? This is not right. We need to go get my kids and your kids and we need to bring them back to shore. He said, Randy, calm down. It's okay. So he yelled out to my kids and they all waved, Dad, we're okay, we're okay. And he said, let me take you back to the shore. So I agreed. We got back to the shore and I sat on the beach on a rock and I put my hands on my head and I thought, what was that? What was that? That was the most illogical thing I'd ever experienced in my life and I shrugged it off and said, whew, sorry about that little experience. But I didn't have any idea that whatever happened out there in the water wasn't about to go away anytime soon. Something, something got messed up and all of a sudden, I lived 24-7 with the sense that I needed to protect my children. I know you're looking at me like, man, you are crazy. I felt like I was crazy. And so when we got back into town, my kids thought this was just camp out time, but every single night for one year, I would lay out multiple blankets in our bedroom 
because at night I wanted all four of my children to be in our bedroom. My wife finally said, you need to go see somebody. And so I don't know what you think about me for telling you this, but from time to time I've gone to see a Christian counselor. You know why? Because I'm just, I'm just a guy. And I get stuck every now and again. And I need help, just like you. The worst thing to do is to not do anything at all. So I went to the Christian counselor, and he said to me, after I explained the situation to him, he says, Randy, your mind is, is like a computer. It is a very, very complicated thing, and you have got a virus in your head. And that virus is causing you to think about things very, very differently. And what we need to do is we need to reboot. We need to, in the words of Paul, we need to renew your mind. And so he gave me a little cassette, if that gives you any idea how long ago this story was. A cassette. Kids, ask your parents about it. It's a really cool device that wobbled every now and again. You couldn't just pick a song, you had to fast forward to it or rewind to it. Remember that? You kept going back and forth. And I thought, listen to this cassette. He said, yeah, listen to it in the morning, listen to it in, your, in the car, listen to it at night. And I initially thought to myself, you know, this is some sort of psychobabble kind of thing. I'm not really interested in all of this. But I really needed help. And so I put it in, and it was a cassette of this guy. And, and he just kept talking about all of these things that were lovely. He kept talking about all these things that were true. He would quote scriptures. He would talk about things that we should be thankful for. And he just kept going on and on and on. And initially I thought, what is this? But after about two weeks, after about two weeks, I noticed the fear started to subside. I didn't want to give, it, give this guy credit. But it was putting back into my mind perpetually the things that were good that were right, that were pure, that were lovely, that were excellent, and little by little, that pushed out the junk. And I'm pleased to announce, my children are now 27, 23, 21, and 19, and they sleep in their own rooms again. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> the Bible tells us that your mind and your heart are very tender and complicated things given to you by God. And you need to guard them with your life. Parents, when your children are young, this is your job. And while it's true, you need to be careful with the junk of television and the internet and all the stuff that goes on in the school playground yard, the reality is, and Ann Voskamp would tell us it's true, the number one place they're going to pick up their attitude about life is watching you. So be careful what your attitude is because your kids are watching and it's becoming theirs.